From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in sour, salty Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this roundtable episode, our topics are building a website for your game, game exhibits and installations, and losing. And so, if everyone's ready, wait for it. A little longer. Wait, what's my line? Oh, uh, let's start. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, first topic of business, I feel miserable. Yes. And you guys wanted to delay the recording, and I'm like, the show must go on. And I might be, I might be wrong about that. You're such a trooper, Mark. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm generating sympathy. That's the idea here. Healthy artist is a better artist. That's all I will say. Yeah, that's not a feeling I'm familiar with in general. <laughs> well, hopefully the show works out well. Yeah. For that. Uh, in better news, Stephen, you got new headphones, and I you're do. super excited about they're it. They're nice. They're really nice headphones. I'm trying them out now. Um, they're they're Audio Technica headphones. Mm-hmm. Slight, I guess we're not getting sponsored by them, so maybe I shouldn't endorse them. Well, I'd say because I don't mind shouting out the ones that we normally wear here are uh, ones that I got. The Sony seventy seventy five oh sixes, which mm. are like classic studio headphones that for over a decade I've just loved and loved so much. They're yeah, just like, they're kind of like. Um, they're sort of, they're iconic in a way, you know, and they're very simple, but they're very clean and nice and I love yeah. them. Um, but like the, the ones you got are like similarly like yeah. high quality, like studio cans. I think they're M40s. I want to say they're M40s. Yeah. Not M50s. I think somebody said, someone said on like a form or something that they were pretty good too, but they have their little bass heavy or something. Uh-huh. So I didn't grab those and they were more expensive too. So. Well, I didn't bring it up to talk, you know, do can talk, although that's great. <laughs> um, but you were, you told me earlier that like occasionally you treat yourself with headphones. It's like oh, a yeah. thing you do. Yeah, it is. I'm I like su- doing that. I'm super curious about that. It's oh. like a specific like little gift you give yourself. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a gift. I just, sometimes I'm checking to see if uh, um, headphones are on sale. I'm like, Oh, these are only 70 bucks. Maybe uh-huh. I'll check them out. So I try them and then I download them and I have three songs I listen to when I test out headphones. It's, it's a routine. And huh. I always, it's always exciting. <laughs> um, the first song I listen to is F zero arranged. Uh, it's, I think it's silent. Mm-hmm. That song. It's like a jazzy version of the F zero song. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, but it has, uh, certain audio cues and stuff that you can't hear if the headphones aren't as good. So I listen huh. to those. And then I have a song called The Sea. It's from an obscure game called Magic Pen- Pangle. Mm-hmm. Something like that, where like you draw your character. And it's kind of like Pokemon. You draw your own characters and you fight them. It's weird. But it's a cool game. Yeah. It has really good bass. So that's how I test the bass out. Then I play my favorite song, which is Do It by Tuxedo. Uh, I just clearly like listening to that song. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we have yeah. to have links to all of these in the show notes, <laughs> sure. so people can, you know, make this their audio testing suite as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll link. We'll link them in the show notes. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, the, for when I get new headphones, one of the first things I listen to is like an old Velvet Underground record. Oh. And if I can hear all the the scratches and pops, nice. then I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not quite the uh, the uh, pesos you put it through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. <laughs> Everybody has their own routine for headphones. Yeah. Some people just. They go like, yeah, they're good. Yeah. Good enough. I just go, does it give me a headache? Yes, no. Uh-huh. Yes, then they're good. I mean, no, <laughs> then they're good. <laughs> Probably not yes. Yeah. Headaches are bad. Yeah, that's, I mean, there are certain people who prefer to listen to music that way, though. They're, With headaches? I don't know. <laughs> I'm making like an EDM joke. I don't know. <laughs> uh, in recent news, the last week's, we're a week out from, in our calendar, the IDGA meeting that your father spoke at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us about how well that went. It went really well. His talk was really great. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of him. He did a whole uh, 
went through the history of of what the games he worked on. Um, Zaxxon is was an arcade game, and Coleco was like, "Can you make this into a Coleco game?" And my dad and his company were like, "Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll we'll try it." Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Can you make it for us in like six months without specs for the console?" And they're like. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved hearing about the uh, the confidence and the fear, which is, was very familiar. It's like, sure, I can do this. Oh my god, can I do this? Which it, I guess things, some things ever change. You yeah, know? kind of incredible. But I, I think I didn't know about this story was that uh, they were developing this as a launch title for the ColecoVision. Yeah. So they were working with like evolving specs, and um, we got to look at the um, the BIOS manual uh, at the event that he had. He brought all these great artifacts. And if, if anyone see Halt and Catch Fire, there's a sequence where they pull down the, the IBM uh, like BIOS this is a big binder. So people of our age are like familiar with what that is. But there's one of these for the ColecoVision. And so it was really cool to look through it. And it's all Greek to me. But um, it was so interesting that there's a little change log on the first page. And one of the things says, we took out all the stuff we had to add for the, for the Zaxxon folks. Because apparently, <laughs> as, as they were making the game, they were, they were improving upon like the APIs for it. And uh, that got implemented into the into the into the BIOS, and then they had to kind of draw it back a little bit so that their uh, the actual like third party competitors wouldn't get a leg up or something. Like it was kind of very strange, but uh, huh. fascinating how like directly involved that particular game was in the launch of that that system, uh, which was pretty popular for a little while before the video game crash a year later. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they were in the top charts for ColecoVision games mm-hmm. for um, like. A bunch of week months in a row or weeks in a row or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like almost it was like eighteen months. Yeah, what he said. So like a, more than a year. Yeah. Uh, and the only one that sold more was Donkey Kong, but that was it. Was, the ColecoVision was sold as a bundle with that and with uh, the system and Donkey Kong, so yeah. it doesn't really count. <laughs> it's like going up against Super Mario World yeah. or Wii Sports or something, and yeah. coming out just shy. Like that's the you know that is. <laughs> That's a Herculean task, and mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing that they, they pulled that off. Yeah, it was a, it was a great talk, and um, and, I, and it, it leads in a little bit of the news coming up. We're doing a, a special episodes coming up, and we're going to be playing Zaxxon. We um, are. It's, uh, my voice is failing me. Steve. You want to describe <laughs> what it is? Our, yeah, we're, we're going to uh, do nice plays where we play uh, um, indie games and other games like Zaxxon, mm-hmm. uh, and we're just going to comment on them and talk about like the design of the game and what we like and dislike about the game. Um, so we're, uh, calendar math will be failing me. I'm not sure when we will have this episode up. Well, it doesn't matter because we can just tell our listeners next week. Yes. Next week. <laughs> oh yeah. It will be next week. Cause this will be a round table. That makes sense. <laughs> calendar math. <Woo>. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, part of my brain is working right now. <laughs> the part that's not working for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So check us out. We'll be on YouTube and mm-hmm. we'll have links. Maybe we'll update the, uh, this posting with the links or something. Yeah, we'll put these in the the feed for the podcast as well. And so, yeah. if you have a podcast player that supports video, um, you can you don't you can just wait for it to pop into your feed and you can watch it there. Mm-hmm. But I think YouTube is the natural home for this kind of format. We're yeah. playing around with it. We're going to see how it goes, yeah. and we will, we'll, of course, w- would really welcome and probably need your feedback on yes. how to do this right. Right. I have to update the feedback form for this purpose. <laughs> more work for me well do it real quick because all the all the forms that will come in in the meantime they'll just be lost if you don't do this right <laughs> oh away. man yes oh the address for it is nicegames.club slash feedback yeah and by the time you hear this Stephen will have updated it by then right yes I hope I hope <laughs> I will have I did already yeah. I didn't see it 
Uh, what's, what's the first topic? <laughs> yeah, let's, enough preamble. Let's get into the noise. Speaking of updating. Oh, uh, you tried no. real hard with that one. <laughs> it worked. I'll take it. Website. Okay. Yeah. So. But Martha, I make games. I don't make websites. Yeah. Well, but you want people to buy your game, right? Yeah. <laughs> I could give or take. Really. I want people to buy my game. <laughs> <laughs> well, then a website is a good thing to have because you can put up um, stuff for press. So like a press kit so that if an, someone's doing an article on your game, they can go, oh, here's all the screenshots that I'm allowed to have mm-hmm. and like copy and descriptions of things that I can just copy and paste into my article uh, and so then it makes that easier for them, which makes it easier for them to review your game and, and stuff like that. Right. So your website should contain a press kit then. It yes. should definitely have one of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We should talk about what sort of things you would want on your website. Yeah. Um, another thing is like a dev blog. So you can be uh, gain an audience um, by people getting interested in how you're making the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one, uh, you guys have a dev blog. We do I'm, I'm pointing <laughs> no. at Stephen. <laughs> yes, we we do have a dev blog. We just haven't updated it. I think it's been a year at this point, mm-hmm. which is bad. We used to update it once a week. Um, it just took a lot of time from development. Um, mm. So we eventually tailored off. I think we showed it off at an event. We were like, oh, we're just going to keep working on the game. And it's difficult to motivate yourself to type up about your game when like you're working on it, and that's what you're excited about. I think my opinion on this is that it it really depends on the effort you can put towards it. And so you mm-hmm. have to kind of design mm-hmm. what you want based on what you think you can maintain. And that's what makes, I mean, you have a team of three and a, the dev blog was hard to do. Yeah. And that's not a surprise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm like a lot of people, I just put my stuff on Twitter, but even I'm not that great at that. So I think people, it'd be very easy to overestimate. It's like, I want all these oh, features yeah. for our website, right? Totally. One dev blog that I have really liked is um, there's this web comic called Stand Still, Stay Silent, mm-hmm. which is a really great web comic, and everyone should go read it. Um, <laughs> but the writer of and uh, uh, and illustrator of that comic um, is starting to be make games and be a game dev, and mm-hmm. so she's been every week she takes one day off to make work on her game and posts instead of a comic, the dev blog. Mm. And like, it's so cool because you can just, uh, she's learning to code at the same time. So she talks about like what coding things she learned that week and stuff like that. It's very much like um, what people post in um, this week in game dev uh, on your, on the Facebook group. Oh yeah. Which do you want to talk about? That? You can just, Oh, the Facebook sure. Group I, can, real I, quick. Haven't, I guess I haven't. <laughs> have I talked about that on the show? Well, uh, we have a Facebook group called Midwest game developers. There's two of them out there. Mine is the one with less members. Though uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're steadily, steadily catching up to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they might have 400 and we're like 200 strong. But either way, um, I, every week I have two posts, uh, which one of them is this week in game dev where people uh, post about what they've worked on and struggles and things. Most of the time they post screenshots and stuff, which is cool. Um, but I also have a post on Saturday. It's called Screenshot Saturday, which is specifically for that purpose. And I, uh, it's to encourage people to post tweet things mm-hmm. on the hashtag Screenshot Saturday to get your games more noticed. Yeah, those kinds of things are great because when I see them, it encourages me to like take stock and like write a sentence or two. Yeah, I mean, one, it's nice to get validation from your peers too because it's everyone's it's you know everyone's like high fiving each other and yeah. each other on the back. Uh, and you know, and, and looking at each other's work, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. But for like a dev blog kind of thing, 
uh, the example you were citing is great because it sort of fits into her schedule already. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's really natural for that to work. And because she's a learning process, I'm sure documenting it is, must, must be extraordinarily helpful for her. Yeah. And so I think that just underlines the fact that like the things you want to put on a website or part of your web presence should be things that, that make sense for you. Right. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and that, that, that you can provide some unique value to, right? Mm-hmm. You're not just checking a, I need this, I need this, I need this. Right. Although maybe there's a couple of those. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think you're right in that, you know, you shouldn't try to put everything on. Like if it takes away from doing your game, yeah. then it don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You should tailor your website to your game and to who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, because it won't help if you spend all your time writing a dev blog that no one reads and it's hurting your game. Yeah. But right. that, I think that's part of the reason why we stopped is we weren't getting a lot of um, hits from it. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we were getting more hits off of Twitter and things, especially when I tweet my amazing gifts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we just kind of stopped on it because it just wasn't helping us very much. But we don't have like a press kit and things. And that would be really helpful yeah. if we ever were to get, uh, if we wanted to get attention from uh, uh, article writers and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised how, I mean, think about when you need to look something up. Like, if it's a little hard, you will give up. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think it's very easy. Um, I did a, a crowdfunding thing, I guess, oh, almost two years ago, uh, when I was starting development on, on my game for Sirius. And uh, I was trying to get just a little attention for it. And I got a couple of really small little mentions places. And they got, a, most of them got some of the details wrong. And it's because I didn't, I wasn't totally, I didn't make it super easy for them. Like I thought I made it easy enough. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, they just spend an extra five seconds. Like that's too much to ask anybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just like with uh, players, right? You players never read the instructions. Yeah. Neither yeah. do journalists. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make it easy for them, right? Yeah. And I mean, they get requests constantly. So oh yeah, like, it's not a knock on them at all. Like, yeah, yeah. A, Of course, it's like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just so many games out there now. It's just diff- It's not. It's impossible to literally write about everything. Mm-hmm. So you got to grab their attention. With a hard hitting, a uh, little blurb about your game, or and a some nice cool video. graphics, yeah, yeah, all that stuff is important. a nice little yeah. video trailer, mm-hmm. and like a you know like a elevator pitch paragraph, something simple so that people not only can get that information but can then digest it, and like if they do want to add anything of their own to it, then they have a place to start from, you know, yeah, um, which is really useful. But and there's all- there are ways, simple ways to add that information, right? Yes, so uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later too, but. Um, Rami Ishmael, who is a really uh, awesome person, what has he made? Um, like so many nuclear things. Throne was nuclear Throne. Right, right. He, he did. Uh, Flambeerus. Yes, Flambeerus. Yeah. Super Crate Box and those. Yeah, you've probably heard of him. Yeah, you've probably <laughs> heard of him. <laughs> He's a great ambassador for the field. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, really nice guy. Um, but he made uh, this thing called Press Kit, um, which you can download and put on your website. And all you have to do is fill in the like fields and then it will generate a page customized to your mm-hmm. game. Um, and it's got all the information that journalists and other people are looking for, like, you know, who's working on it, when will it be published, like what platforms it will be on, what, you know, some specs about uh, stuff and here's the screenshots and yeah. here's the blurb and stuff like that. And you just type it into this thing and go generate and then it goes. Boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's been around long enough that I think uh, journalists are familiar with its uh, format. Mm-hmm. So they're expecting it sort of just greases the wheels a little bit for that kind of just simple information exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, it, and it's just, it's helpful to just format your website because uh, I know we spent a, a, a decent amount of time trying to figure out how to format the website and things. And we updated it like once or twice too. And I'm not super satisfied with how it looks now either. It's kind of just white space 
a lot of white space. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we should look into that maybe mm-hmm. sometime soon. Well, then that's that's the difference between a consumer facing page and then say like a press facing page. So mm-hmm. when you do a, a press kit thing, it lives apart from your site. It's mm-hmm. just like a separate area. Right. Yep. It's not like secret. It's just like and it is it is a lot of white space. It's like yeah. plain text. It's just the facts, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. But a consumer facing site is a whole different marketing kind of thing. I've done a little bit of web design in my mm-hmm. time as a web programmer person. And basically we, what, what you want to go for is something that looks has the feel of your game. So if your game is right. like really dark and scary, then you want to kind of go for a dark color scheme and, you know, jagged edges and jagged font or whatever. Um, or if you're like a super happy, fun web uh, <laughs> game that's uh, nonviolent and colorful, then you want uh-huh. a super colorful website with, uh, you know. Yeah. So like in that first example, if you don't want Steven to play your game, <laughs> yeah. you don't really yeah. want him to go to your website either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? like, the, like it should be readily apparent on your, like when you hit the page, like, oh, this is the feeling that mm-hmm. uh, that this game is about. Yeah, and if yeah. you do it well enough, I won't even click your website. So. <laughs> <laughs> Success. <laughs> That's a good way of figuring out. Will Stephen click this or not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, if you're a developer and you're working with an artist on the game, you should you should consider consulting with them extra on some of these materials, yeah. not just mm-hmm. for the website, but for promotional things and stuff like that. It's probably a natural conversation, but it also means you might want to pay them a little more, yeah. <laughs> right? Get a little extra work out of them because I think that. Because the website will be a lot of time the first this first impression of your project, right? Yeah. Well, unless yeah. you are discovered naturally on Steam, which happens, right? I mean, a lot of times, I mean, there are a lot of game websites that are terrible, and that's kind of okay. But like, why risk it? I guess, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing it goes back to it depends on what your game is and how you're getting mm-hmm. how you happen to luckily get discovered by whatever. Right. Like Steven's game works really, Vengeance works really well on Twitter because the like. It's really easy to see like all the cool effects and gifts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Mina's game works really well on a website because she already has a website and that's how people are finding her right. to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I suppose if you have an audience already or a community that you want to bring in or it's a potential audience, think about that. Like if you if you're you know participating in forums on Reddit and your game has something to do with a, a, a you know an area of interest that you're active on, maybe that's a place where you'll you'll get people. And so you want to build a website that is ugly and hard to use. Yeah. that's what that's what Reddit users like. Yeah, um, that reminds me of what's what's the creator's the creator's name of uh, Super Meat Boy. Uh, he was really heavily in the Newgrounds community, right? Uh, McMullen. Yes. Right? Yeah. And like his art has that aesthetic, that Newgrounds oh, yeah. aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Castle Crashes and stuff, they all have that aesthetic. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. if you should have your blog uh, match the theming that you want your game in, like you're saying, Martha, that it just, it just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, websites for mobile mm-hmm. games have that mobile aesthetic that I hate so much. And they, <laughs> they nail it. Like, and that's good. It's, that's the, you know, that's, that's what people want to see. That gives the right impression. Right? Yep. That's really important. Yeah. Like all mobile, all, all MMOs like have the same website. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And that's fine, right? Yeah. I mean, because you're not making a website, you're making a game. The yeah. website should service the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if this sounds scary, the main point of a website for your game would be to put all the official stuff in one spot. Mm-hmm. So links to all your stuff. So all your social media accounts, um, like if you make a forum for your game, like or a Discord or something like that, a Slack channel, um, like links to all of those things, all in one place. I feel like I'd go off into 
game websites just to be like, where else are, can I find info on, on this mm -hmm. and where else can I like get involved? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how to make a website? <laughs> That's the question. You ask Martha to do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, so if you don't have a friend who does web development, then there are a bunch of uh, free places or free or cheapest free um, mm -hmm. ways to go. Um, there's uh, websites like Squarespace and Wix that uh, will let you no coding involved, like make your own website. Um, and those are really great. And uh, WordPress also has their own uh, self or not. They have two versions. <laughs> There's the self-help, self-hosted version and then the version that they host. So you can go on there with no coding knowledge. And if you're like, uh, no web coding knowledge and just um, be like, WordPress site, this one, <laughs> look like this, mm -hmm. go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so if you don't have a lot of time to work on a website and don't have money to pay someone for a website, I would definitely check out the those options. Those are like monthly subscriptions, generally? Um, yeah, like I think there's some free options uh, for like, I'll have ads on my site and also have, have it like a domain name that's not something, something, something slash my game name instead of oh, mygamename.com. Sure. Right, right. So, but like, I think some people get snobby, like, oh, you're using a free version of the free <laughs> thing. Well, I see. Mm -hmm. But I think that's ridiculous. Like, if you want a website, you should just be able to have a website. Yeah. So I think that's great if you use some of those free options available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if that's like where your budget is. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Especially if um, you're, you know, you're not ready to sell the game yet. You just want yeah. to, you know, you don't need the Blockbuster website right now. Like, uh, get started. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I think it's really easy to invest a lot before you need to, before you know how much you need to invest. Yeah. Right. Um, that said, a domain name is not that expensive. It's usually about $15 a year. Right. And yeah. all, and all these services let you hook in your own domain name. Um, but yeah, so we should talk about like how the web works a little bit uh, so that people know about like domain names and what hosting is yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so a domain name is uh, the address of your website. Really what it is, is uh, the your browser turns it into a bunch of numbers that the computer knows, uh, <laughs> which routes it to the correct server. Mm -hmm. um, but we want it to be human readable, so we don't have to be like 101.1.5. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so there are these things called domain registrars. Uh, uh, there's like Namecheap is one of them. Um, that's the one I use for my website and a bunch of other websites. There's uh, HostGator, I think does domain registration. There's mm -hmm. a lot. Of yeah, pretty much it, it gets confusing because there's domain registration and then hosting. Where you, and yes. a lot of times <laughs> your host will also register a domain for you. Um, and so, but you can do it separately. So, for example, nicegames.club, because it's a .club domain, not all registrars offer it. So, I went through a registrar that offered it specifically, uh, and many other of the dot crazy names. The <laughs> dot motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, but then we just host it through um, the host that I use for all my other websites. Um, so, they don't have to be the same. It's sometimes convenient if they are. And if you have a funny name like ours, uh, sometimes you do need to, to actually consider. Uh, where you get uh, your domain name, but mm -hmm. that's that's sort of step one, right? 
Yeah. Uh, so once you figure out your the name and if it's available, because um, someone might have snagged your your name, uh, most places you can put in the name that you want, and they can tell you if it's available or not. Yeah. Um, before you decide to purchase it. Mm-hmm. So that's something to consider when you're coming up with the name of your game. That's also Actually, true. You should have a section on naming games and naming your com- company. Because I got some stories. <laughs> <laughs> Future topic. Yes. Yeah, I, I think just a lot of anecdotal tales can reveal a lot mm-hmm. about that. And I'm sure we all have many of them. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of times people come with a great name before they think about the website they're going to have. And it's it's kind of a sad reality that you have to like you know acquiesce to the what else is out there. But um, you know, if you and if you really want your name, then go ahead and uh, your website can be whatever. Like it's fine. Um, but it's helpful if you get something nice that's available, mm-hmm. right? So then, after that, you need to get the hosting space, which is like if the uh, if your domain name is your address, uh, the hosting space is your actual house <laughs> that you're renting. I like that. <laughs> Uh, and there's many levels of hosting, um, which you might see and might get confused by, <laughs> um, which is what happened to me when I was first trying to, to host a website. I was like, what does, do I need a virtual server? What does that mean? I don't know what this means. And before you like <laughs> dive into it, this is only if you decide not to use right. like yep. a Squarespace yep. or one of those places, because then they will host the files on your website for you. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do it yourself, you do need to find a hosting provider. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, thanks for clarifying mm-hmm. that, Mark. <laughs> yeah, so if you're not going with a, a place like Squarespace or something, uh, then you need to find your own space. So once you find that, oh, well, okay, so if you're just hosting a basic website, all you need is shared hosting. It's perfectly fine. You, right. They have lots of like tools for um, uh, loading up things like Self-hosted Word, WordPress and other uh, content management systems. Well, quick, what is shared hosting? Oh, right. Um, so, shared hosting means that you and a bunch of other websites are on one server. Mm-hmm. Uh, one you don't, physical box. One physical computer in a in a basement somewhere. Basement somewhere <laughs> or data data center somewhere, mm-hmm. and so each website can't access the other websites, mm-hmm. but they're all on one server. So you don't have like your tiny website on one computer and taking up a whole computer. Right. They share resources. Mm-hmm. It's very useful for what for uh, your personal website or your game's website, which frankly not getting a lot of traffic. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need a lot of resources. Yeah. And the resources it's not using can be used by the sometimes hundreds of other websites that are on a physical box. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a it's a pretty good deal and it's actually fairly performant. It's not. I mean, yeah. unless you have lots of traffic, which is, that's a problem you can have later. <laughs> yeah, and the best part about it is that most of these uh, hosting providers are more than happy to take more money for you to upgrade. Yes, that's right. So, um, But yeah, shared hosting works perfectly fine for mm-hmm. most people. Like, like even a very popular game probably won't need more than that because you're not doing very much with, like you're not taxing it very much yeah. with a simple website that's just showing what your mm-hmm. game is and all that. Like if you have a, a very complicated app, then you're going to need like, a, you know, more. Stuff, right. If you're running web services through your, your, you know, running web applications on your, on your host, um, then you're going to need something a little bit more. And there are games that do that, of course. Um, sometimes your game will use, host its web services, not on your website. It'll be somewhere else. Right. And sometimes it'll be on the same one. So it kind of just depends on how you want to build it. Yeah. Okay. So now you got your domain name, you've picked your host, whether it, uh, and if you, you're going with your own, then you found a, a hosting provider. Um, and if you are going on your own, um, 
WordPress has it is a great way to go for hosting a simple website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's WordPress.com and WordPress.org. WordPress.com is the host is like uh, WordPress hosts you and oh, okay. you uh, do everything on their stuff on their servers. Um, and they have like all these nice graphical interfaces and stuff for you to do that. And then self-hosted WordPress is WordPress.org. Uh, that's where you install WordPress onto your shared hosting service that you purchased. Um, and there's all these uh, soft topulous, I think a lot of servers offer, um, which is like a, you click a whole bunch of uh, options and mm-hmm. then say, install and it will just install WordPress on a, a domain name and then you go and uh, go into the graphical editor. For right, it there. right. And I think the distinction, it's something I learned when I was monkeying with websites long ago that was kind of a revelation is that, oh, all that's literally happening when you tell your host install WordPress or Drupal or whatever or, or like a bulletin board or any of those like web apps, all you're telling it to do is install it on that machine like you would install on your own computer. Yeah. It yeah. really is no different. Um, it's just, uh, you, if you're doing shared hosting, you generally don't have direct, like, root access to the machine. Mm-hmm. You have to go through your, like, account, your hosting account, which is mo- is pretty much fine for most people. Um, but yeah, when you install WordPress, all you're doing is asking them to put a bunch of files in your yeah. home directory. <laughs> and then you log on to your own thing that way and you're off to the races. Yeah. Uh, and they've got, like, bunches of themes and stuff so you can make it look like you want. Um, and upload your pictures and stuff like that. And it makes it really easy. Um, if you want to do more coding, uh, there's, uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, the, an HTML5 generator. Um, our friend Andy found one that mm-hmm. uh, they use for the Burden Skies website. Okay. Uh, and it's really cool because it will like generate all of the cool parallax effects and ah, stuff yes. like that for you, and you don't have to code those in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um which is cool. And then you can just code it if you're comfortable going into. I'm talking as if people don't know how to code. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say JavaScript is terrible and no one should use it. So I, I don't blame anyone for not knowing. That's fine. <laughs> I'm kidding. But like, you know, if someone who is a, a experienced programmer, like putting together web pages that consist of like a back end server technology, a front end HTML, CSS style, like, it it all it all hangs together weirdly, and um, it's it is kind of more daunting than it kind of should be. So I don't I don't blame anybody. It depends on how you come up, right? Like my mm-hmm. first coding was websites, and so like I love CSS, but I don't know anybody else who does. <laughs> and so um, I it and at the same time, you look back at the structure, and you're like, wow, this really just cobbled together over years of the of the history of the web. And people who are really into web technologies are such ninjas with it. But then those people can't can't write Java apps, right? Yeah. So it's uh, I mean, it's 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 hard to assume what anybody knows mm-hmm. uh, when you talk about these things. Yep. Right. It takes a village to make a website. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, with an HTML5 generator, uh, you can go in and and edit the code in your code editor um, to put in your custom. Uh, name and all that sort of thing. Right. So with WordPress, it's you're sort of uh, entering in form fields on in your browser, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. for just a you know a generated website like a one page website, which might be all you need. You don't need a web app, right? Yeah. If you're not doing a blog or anything, you can just use one of those things and just edit the the you know put your content yeah you know, directly into the code. It's not that complicated. Right? Yeah. Image tags, <laughs> they're great. <laughs> yeah, and then. Once you have that all set up, then you have to tell people about your website. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
And then profit. And then profit. <laughs> Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. So yeah, if, if you have more questions, talk to me in the Reddit forum and mm-hmm. uh, at me on Twitter and at the Nice Games Club and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to talk websites for days. <laughs> yeah. So I also wanted to talk about like, what are some really great websites in the indie dev community that we found are good examples for people? Uh, one that I really at. liked was Everend. Um, it's locally made. I guess it's not super local because I think they're um, in Wisconsin. Yeah, right? it's a, a bunch of students from UW Stout. Yeah. Um, woo with woo. with uh, great talent and much spirit uh-huh. put together this awesome <laughs> whole game. Yeah, um, they won uh, GlitchCon uh, Best Game uh, a couple years back. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a great game. Yeah. Uh, but I really like their website, um, like especially how they describe all of the, the people. On the who worked on the game, yeah. <laughs> they have some little, they have some funny little snippets and stuff mm-hmm. about them, which was really cool. It, it added a little bit of character to the game that was outside of the game in a way, which yeah. was nice. Yeah, that was a good uh, website. I like. Mm-hmm. I think in my mind, I don't have really a lot of examples offhand because you don't go to these websites to spend any time there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, you go to learn the thing you need to learn about the game and then you bounce. Mm. And, and so the best websites are the ones that like, do you their, don't remember. <laughs> they, well, not exactly. They do their job and they like, they leave an impression. It's very similar to a game trailer or an advertisement. They're short, sweet to the point, very clear in their communication. Um, not too clever, but a little clever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, you kind of then forget about them because they've done their job and you've moved on from it. And then you can go play the game because that's yeah, the thing that matters. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so I would advise people to like treat it seriously, but don't get bogged down in it, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I've mentioned a bunch of the ones that I thought of before. Um, the strong side, stay, stand still, stand stay still, silent. stay, stay silent. Yes. Uh-huh. The name of the game is City of Hunger. I looked it up. City of Hunger mm-hmm. is yep. the game. Um, it's a great website mm-hmm. because. She just does, the comic is so great too. She just does everything. It looks like the whole website was painted uh, with watercolors uh-huh. and it's so cool. Yeah, this game was gorgeous. <laughs> uh, and there was another game that I've, uh, I think Ooblets has a good website, but mm-hmm. Ooblets has just got a, every, good everything in general. Um, you might just be blinded by your... Enormous love for Ooblets. Yeah, yeah, probably. They can do no wrong. I was like, this game looks amazing. Yeah, I want yeah. it. It looks like everything I want. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, that does the job that a trailer does. Is mm-hmm. it, it's a good solid first impression, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, or at least a confirming second impression. Because yeah. a lot of times people will come to your website through a Twitter link or through an advertisement or through a friend's recommendation. And so it's not like the first thing, it's not like the first time they've ever heard of it, right? Yeah. Stumble onto it. Not likely to stumble onto it via Google search, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times a, a website can be like, a, oh, this seemed interesting. Okay, maybe not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Or this seemed interesting. Oh, wow, let me learn. I'm going to learn more. Like, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, find out more about this. Um, yeah. And so, like, uh, in, in service of that, like, social links are pretty important, right? Yes. If that's, if that's where you're active, you want you you want to f- uh, focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've done on uh, websites I've built in the past, I don't think my current one does that because the API changed and I haven't gotten around to it. Is having just my latest tweet like up front and center because that that keeps the impression of of sort of a ever changing thing. It also lets people who are interested in the work I'm doing know what I'm doing now, yeah, um, which is pretty useful. Um, so if that's you know, or like those little Facebook sidebars, uh, we have one on our site on NiceGames.club. Um, stuff like that just can like uh, so that you can leave your website a nicely crafted piece and you don't have to worry about coming back to it to, to yeah. update it all the time. 
Um, but it really depends on how you, if you do make those updates. If you have a Twitter account, you don't post to it, which is fine. Then don't cough, don't cough, <laughs> clawbreaker, cough. cough, cough. <laughs> you know, then don't feature it on your website. So again, it's just tailored to 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 how you're planning to communicate. Um, hey, we don't have that problem because we don't have a website. <laughs> <laughs> One day, I'm, a, I'm working on it. We're working on it, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've had we've had uh, queries about the state of Clawbreaker from listeners. <laughs> we're gonna have to revisit that for sure. It'll be its own topic. Mm-hmm. Clawbreaker. The story. Okay, we're back, and uh, we just came off of what was a probably a really exciting transition from you, Martha. Which I have to say, I'm probably going to cut. So no, that has to be. There, there was an attempt at a pun. There was discuss of my phlegm situation. Uh, I don't know that we can use all of that. Thank I'm you. sorry. Maybe I'll put it at the end. <laughs> Stay tuned after the, the theme song uh, for that. Uh, but moving on to my topic now uh, that I had a chance to blow my nose. Uh, game exhibits and installations. Yeah, because I am very curious. I haven't heard much about your, your Star Trek. Yeah, so the reason I brought this up is purely self-serving. I um, <laughs> Through Glitch, um, I did a Star Trek VR uh, installation at uh, Minnesota Orchestra Hall. Um, it was uh, They're doing a series of summer concerts. And the first one was Star Trek Live, which was the 2009 Star Trek movie um, uh, with a live orchestra playing the entire score, yeah. which I saw and was awesome. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a huge man. Star Trek fan. That's no secret. And, and I, I think that movie's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, like, as a hardcore Star Trek fan, it's like, you can never be sure if a hardcore Star Trek fan likes that movie or not. <laughs> but I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty good. It had a million plot holes and it was not, you know, but it had, it had the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but um, I forgot how good the music is. And I think maybe some of that is just like hearing it live is like a big, you know, kind of thing. But it's, it's got these amazing themes and so good. Anyway, so it was a great time. They have um, things in their lobby and out in the courtyard. They're, they're selling ice cream and they're doing a whole block party kind of atmosphere. They have like a, um, a life-size chess and wow. Scrabble and Connect Four and Jenga, which makes a terrible noise when it falls over. Oh, oh uh, no. It's just a bunch of two by fours. Like, uh. <laughs> there are kids there. It's, oh, man. it's oh, awesome. The, the whole thing is fantastic. <laughs> and, um, and for one of the exhibits, um, Orchestra Hall has a good relationship here with Glitch. Uh, uh, we do a lot of things there. We'll show our games there. We've done before. Yeah. And um, for this one, they wanted a, something Star Trek y. And so Ava was like, I don't know anything about Star Trek, but I don't know who does. And so uh, uh, her ignorance of Star Trek was uh, was great because it meant that I just got to do it. So, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so what it was, it was a, a cardboard VR. And what we did was we set up two uh, stations um, where um, you, lo- you look around the holodeck and then you, you can enter different rooms from Star Trek The Next Generation. And um, it's a fairly simple kind of application, but um, I was very, uh, I should post some of the links and, and videos and stuff I posted on yeah. Twitter because it's kind of hard to describe because it's kind of, it is a simple thing, but it's about that immersion, right? And because it's for an audience uh, that are not gamers, uh, it, it, it appeals to that as more of a, uh, a, an installation, right? It's not a game really in, in, in almost any sense. I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't go as far to describe it that way, but it was really fun to make. But it's interesting because in, in some ways it feels a lot like sort of a game jam environment. Uh, it, it took me two weeks to put together, but it felt really condensed and like, you know, I had to limit my scope and a lot of those things. And the budget wasn't very high, but I think we really stretched it and made the most of it. Um, but it got me thinking about uh, that as a, as a genre, right? As a, mm-hmm. a, a, th- a, a software installations that are or, or programs that are just meant to be somewhere for a certain time and then, you know, go away or maybe be repurposed somewhere else or whatever. And because um, I'd never really done anything like that, I've done mm-hmm. I've done some public art stuff in like previous lives, like you know work I've done, and I and I I always like doing those kinds of things. They're always sort of novel, and each situation is always unique and fun. 
Um, but I never really thought that, oh, maybe I could, maybe I would just do this for games. Like, why, why not? Because it's so interesting. Yeah. And people loved it. And it was so exciting. So that is the long rambly version of why I wanted to bring this topic up. Um, but I wanted to think, get your guys' opinions because one of the things about these types of things is there's these three different sort of types. There's these like commercial spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Cardboard VR is a great um, thing for this because it's a cheap way to get like people seeing VR um, in a way that doesn't require a lot of instruction, doesn't require a lot of money, and it doesn't require a lot of security, like and stuff, you know, for equipment yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and, um, and, th- and then there's also like a nonprofit. So in the case of Orchestra Hall, they are a, a, a nonprofit. Um, and then there's, uh, but I mean, it sort of has a kind of a commercial element uh, uh, to it in terms of the way we, we used it. And then also there's sort of just purely artistic exhibits, right? Where you, you put on a show and it's performative um, or it's really, it's about, you know, a, a, the artist's message, which is a whole different thing. But they all have the same kind of like, it's different from putting the other game, putting it on Steam. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wondering if you guys had any, any ambitions to do work like that. Mm. Uh, if I got paid enough, yeah, that would help. Well, I mean, this was this was a paid gig. It wasn't uh, out of the Star Trekky goodness of my heart. Although I might have done it for nothing. Um, um, but that it's a it's definitely an avenue for uh, for a, a, the career of a game maker. Yeah, because right. people will pay money to put these things on because mm-hmm. you sometimes don't appreciate like how hard it is. To, yeah, like, put put these um, together. But if you've been working on games for years. You have the skills, mm-hmm. right? Alex Carlson, he does this for Target. That's right. Um, he, that's his job. Is yes. He works for Target doing VR stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh, Target, is, we're in Minneapolis, and Target is huge here because it's where they're based. And they every block party, every uh, uh, um, like fair or event has a Target presence. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is that like they don't take it for granted. They always... They do a pretty good job, yeah, like, they do. of being sort of like a, you know the, the the neighbor and like you know uh, putting out a kind of a neat exhibits. And it's cool that they're doing VR in a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also show uh, in the show notes. We'll put something that that uh, Alex did for a winter celebration thing. That's a snowball oh, thing, yeah. Yeah. which is so amazing because that's that's another interesting thing about it is that taking the the vir- the the virtual in this sense, like the you know the the digital. And combining that with the physical, right? So you're mm-hmm. you're building a space. So for the Star Trek one, we had we have these podiums at, at Glitch that we use for a lot of different purposes. We dressed them up to look like Star Trek props mm-hmm. by just putting like stickers on them. Like it was a really cool, a sort of lo-fi way to make it look like something from the show. And then for the cardboard headsets, um, we painted them black and then we put uh, yellow lines on them so they look like the holodeck. Oh. Which, if you you know if you know Star Trek, that's like a I I think it's sort of a cute metaphor, right? Is the sort of put the holodeck on your face rather than walking into it like a room. <laughs> and so I felt really proud of that idea. Um, and uh, so we sort of built it in that way where it's not only the 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 digital experience is entering the holodeck because physically you are kind of entering this space and using VR as that metaphor. And for the the this target thing that Alex had done, uh, they had built this thing that looked like a, like a rapid fire snowball launcher. Like they actually built this little, little thing. And then when you put the, I think it was a Vive experience, right? It was really high end VR. When you put the thing on that, that physical model that you were sort of strapped into was, um, uh, was replicated digitally and then was fully animated. Yeah. So it was this like big sort of machine that was really just a prop. But then when you put the headset on, the prop came to life. Yeah. And, but you, you were holding, you had your hands on it. So it has this really great thing that just having an experience at home would, can't quite replicate. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that's really cool about these exhibits and installations is that like uh, for, I don't want to call them laymen because that's not accurate, but just, you know, people on the street, mm-hmm. they're just walking into this thing and they're like, oh, wow, a VR thing. I've never tried a VR thing before. That was definitely, man, we we sort of spied on a lot of the people who were coming in and out of the Star Trek thing. Yeah. 
um, one on the first night we were like just making sure it was working. Yeah. Um, but also to get the sort of impression of like what the audience was and what I love about Star Trek fandom is just how like all ages and inclusive it is. Like mm. everyone can like Star Trek. It's, it's fairly mainstream for a fandom. Yeah. And it was just cool to see at this event, uh, people young and old and from all different backgrounds, like, um, kind of having some of its nostalgia, of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, but different also, um, awareness of technology. Um, so you had kids uh, who like, oh yeah, I've done VR. I know all about this. Yeah. Like this school, it's like, oh, this is that old Star Trek show. <laughs> right? And so they kind of liked it. And yeah. then you had people who, you know, were in their 50s and 60s uh-huh. uh, who were fans of the original Star Trek. And, you know, that, like being a Star Trek fan, you're interested in technology. But right. they had that same sort of like, oh, you know, this isn't, this is not for my generation. Right? And you just sort of encourage them to like, oh, just give it a try. And I built it in a way that was very friendly, didn't require a lot of interactions. Um, it used... Um, uh, timeouts for gaze interaction, which is a pretty common standard for cardboard uh, projects, mm-hmm. and um, and just seeing that those people engage with that technology in a way that was sort of effortless for them was very gratifying because I had like yeah. no time to play test this thing. <laughs> um, but that was so fascinating to see people from different backgrounds approach it in different ways. Yeah, and the, there was oh man, my favorite were like the people who were like my age and like my level of technology. Yeah. who walked into it and were like. Nye. <laughs> I lo- I lo- for some reason, I love that. Yeah, they're like, yeah, it was cool, and I'm like, you know what? Awesome. Like, that's fine. <laughs> you, you seem to enjoy it. Go ahead. And it's like, it's almost like a, it's like a YouTube comment. It's like, you know what? You engage with it and you, you did enjoy yourself. That's enough for me. You can yeah. just, you don't have to talk about, you don't, you don't have to be blown away. Thank you very much. That's cool. Um, but it was cool. And I, I was very pleased that it, it sort of, it, it, uh, it fit all comers, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's, that's definitely a demand you have of it. And I think I mm-hmm. had the advantage that uh, especially on those first two nights, everyone coming in was a Star Trek fan. Oh, right, right. Or at least, yeah. or at least was there to see a yeah, Star your Trek game movie, was, right? your, your thing was approachable, but like in other installations, uh, it's not, it's not going to be the case. Like, well, I guess um, at GlitchCon recently, um, uh, Alex Chang probably brought this up in, a, in mm-hmm. the episode he was in. Uh, like they had VR uh, installations and stuff too, but it was very difficult for them to have that because like, yeah. especially where they were at, they're at the soap factory and, uh, Oh, I don't want to rant about that again, but um, they had uh, here. You can rant about it for 10 minutes and then we'll just cut that out. <laughs> okay. We're back. Steven, you've got it all out of your system now. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyways, they had rusty pipes mm-hmm. um, and it was very dangerous to have like VR stuff over there because you, you know, you have goggles on your face and you can't see these things. Yeah. Um, and so also a lot of time those VR things were like a super hypercube, <clears throat> yeah. which is a pretty approachable game. I'd say it's yeah, a, a demoable yeah. game. Um, but um it wasn't it wasn't designed for that space mm-hmm. right and that makes it kind of difficult um but yes i had the i had the advantage of having that audience now the thing about this vr it's still going on at least by our calendar yeah. um probably by the time you hear this even too because the the series of the uh, summer concert series is going on for a couple weeks mm-hmm. and there's different types of concerts um some pop culture friendly some not um and the uh the exhibit's going to be there the whole time and so I'm actually curious to spy in there some night and just see, like, is it reaching people who are not there for it? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. My guess is probably not. I don't, it probably is not going to get nearly the level of engagement. Yeah, I would um, think. That and, makes sense. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, but I think um, it was, I was very pleased because it was, the audience on those first, those, for the Star Trek concerts was just so perfect for it. Yeah. Um, but when you are designing something that's more, uh, even more general, more broad than that, especially something you have to sort of, like, convince people to come try. Yeah. Instead of, like, it being sort of a draw. That like that's a really unique challenge. That's kind of almost a marketer's challenge, like mm-hmm. or, or like if, you know, like a, a carny trying to get you to come and you know play you know uh, play ring toss or something. Yeah, um, it definitely has that appeal to it. And even for people who are interested in VR, getting them to try something in public like that is not super easy. Yeah, that's right? true. 
Uh, yeah, um, one thing I, I that I find difficult about installations, at least for me to try them, is that they often feel very artsy. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're not into that. I am not into artsy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to museums. Well, I don't go to museums regularly, but sometimes <laughs> I go to a museum and then like they have art and it makes me mad because I don't understand. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, uh, Zach, uh, mm-hmm. he uh, recently had a talk at IGDA right before your dad's talk, Martha. Oh, yeah. Um, he brought up that, uh, what was it? The Germany... Um, Amaze. Oh, amaze. Amaze. Yes. Yeah. He was showing all of this really artsy. Some of it was VR stuff. Some of it wasn't VR stuff. Like there was this one with this little girl was screaming and it caused action in the game or something. Mm-hmm. All of that seemed unappealing to me at all. Like all of that just, I yeah. was uninterested. Uh, so, I, I know that appeals to some people. My mom was like, we should go to Germany and go to a maze next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right for some people that's really cool mm-hmm. but like that kind of stuff i do not want to deal with right because it just does not seem interesting to me right like i'm it's interesting in the way that like oh cool this is a thing you can do with it i just don't want to be a part of it right you're not necessarily <laughs> the audience yeah for it. and in truth i'm not so much either mm-hmm. i probably i'm i'm less resistant to it than you are and i'm a big fan of artsy stuff yeah so i'm you know but I kind of get that there's a difference between the creator and the and the participant, yeah. um, and you, it doesn't always the same right. audience for it's sure. Just, it just depends on where you're installing installing this thing at. Because yeah. like if you're going to if you're going to something like a maze mm-hmm. and you install something crazy, like you have to scream in a VR thing, or there was that one where like people were roosters and they had to peck, oh yeah, to do anything or That's something. That's so cool. Uh-huh. I want to seems- play that game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all right. Yeah. I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I'm against anything. That requires you to participate in somebody else's fun. Ah. And I think that that's what some of those things can veer on. It's like, it's this really funny thing. Do it. And it's like, n- no, let me, let me get to, you know what I mean? And I think like the rooster pecking thing is fun for people watching. Mm-hmm. And if you have a type of personality that's, that, that wants to be silly and do that, then yeah. fine. But I'm very, I, I don't like things that demand that of you, mm. you know? Um, anyway, right. But that's just, that's just me. <laughs> but that, that kind of stuff makes sense at a place. For a maze. Oh, like, sure. Because that's like the whole aesthetic. It's all that weird craziness. Like, I don't know. It was a whole bunch of stuff that I just wouldn't be interested in. Mm-hmm. There was, yeah, there was one installation he was talking about where it was a game where you had to, like, each of you had a buzzer or something mm-hmm. and then it passed a ball back and forth. It's kind of like air, a line. Air hockey, basically. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. It that. drew a line drawing mm-hmm. as you were doing it. And then at the end, if you lost the game, you had to get that line drawing that it made tattooed on yourself. And there was right, that tattoo right. two artists like right there to tattoo it on <laughs> yep, your body yeah. somewhere. All and I would, stuff. would not play that game. Right. <laughs> I'm actually interested to see that in action and to actually hear what the success of that is. Because mm-hmm. to me, the, the idea, the concept of that is as interesting as the execution. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have, I, that's where I get sort of like old man LaCroix about it. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, if your idea is clever, and I don't need to see it to be any cleverer mm-hmm. than that, then it's like it's done its job. Just uh, write, write it down on paper and it's, it's Peter Molyneux. Yeah, yeah, right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Basically, yeah. Uh-huh. We should mm-hmm. link that in the show notes. Um, but enough of negativity. Uh, Stephen, some time ago, we went to the Science Museum and they had lots of stuff like this, the digital like the displays. There was like trivia game that was played on like one of those big oh, yeah. um, uh, Microsoft, old school Microsoft Surface tables. You know what I'm talking about? That's right. Yeah, they did. That was um, kind of fun. And stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it definitely can be used, these installations be used as a learning tool, yes. right? And a science museum is a great example of it. And I, it is, what was there? Was one? <gasps> oh my goodness, yes. 
Oh, oh, I just got to. Okay. So they had a Pixar exhibit there and they had a whole bunch of cool installations and stuff because they had like you could do 3D modeling and things and they taught you about the process on how to make Pixar movies. And I love Pixar movies. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I watch them every year around my birthday. Because they come out around my birthday. I, mm-hmm. I just love Pixar movies so much. Oh, yeah. Did you go see Cars 3? Uh, except except this year, Mark. He went to the exhibit instead. I okay. guess, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, but yeah, like I was just, it was, uh, it made me feel like a kid again. Yeah. Because like I, I felt like I could one day be at Pixar and do like 3D modeling for them yeah. or something. It was just really cool. And so that kind of insulate, like, that's something that's that's really um, interesting about um, installations is that I can inspire people and introduce them into something that they've just never been introduced to before in their lives. Yeah, I think that there's there is the novelty and the sort mm-hmm. of base enjoyment. Yeah. But then on top of that, a lot of these things they are most successful when they have a purpose. Yeah. And I think that is that's a great example of mm-hmm. of that. Everything I hear about that I haven't been to it yet, but everything I hear about it is something where it's like, oh yeah, it was fun, but I also learned and I was excited to learn. Yeah. And it made me think more going forward and. And like those are the kinds of things that are great, and the format uh, engenders that rather mm-hmm. than it being something that's just uh, something that is then turned into that format for the novelty of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's if you're designing something like this, I think it's very useful to think about like why is it this, right? Yeah. Rather yeah. rather than it's being something else, mm-hmm. you know, or being a simpler or less novel approach to it. Uh, you know, cleverness for cleverness' sake is not always. Yeah. It's not always. You know, actually, frankly, it is enough a lot of times. But, you know, if you want to get people yammering about it on, on the podcast, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe force them into your game. Yeah. <laughs> but at the uh, just the regular Science Museum stuff mm-hmm. that I was thinking about is like um, there was these uh, interesting, uh, not exactly video games, there was technical components to it, where it was like these light projections where you had to run back and forth in like a in like a sine wave pattern mm. or something like that. To, oh, to make noise? Well, no, just to, to demonstrate... Um, uh, the concepts of frequency. Oh, okay. And uh, little things like that. And then there was one where everybody walked in a circle. Do you remember that one? Uh, and, no. and then there was a video that took a recording of everybody. Oh, yeah. And um, you know what I'm talking about, Martha? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just like little things like that that, yeah. that that illustrate concepts using, and you know, in, in compared to the Pixar stuff, certainly the a much uh, more rudimentary technology. Mm-hmm. But um, that I think is interesting is to be able to to take those things and, and, um, Play with the form. Yeah. So like, in, you know, when I do the Star Trek thing, it's cardboard VR. It's very natural for a thing like that. It's very <laughs> easy to do. And all, all of my work was in the in Unity, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, most of my work anyway. Yeah. But I, I really admire the things that that are able to take the the form and bring it into more of, um, there's more physical controls and, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to better justify its use of space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for an installation, it's appropriate to have that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they have installation little things. They have that uh, uh, alternative controls thing at uh, GDC. Yeah, uh, alt.controls.gdc. Yeah, that's right. In yep. that order or some other something like uh, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they have like I guess they're not exactly installations because I think those are going to eventually be commercial. I feel yeah, like, actually I don't think any uh, of them are. Oh, yeah. really? oh I mean they, they sort of. I guess um, I didn't explore it very much. Uh, that's another thing about expectations. Mm. I think so when you see those sort of things. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just alternate control methods or, and a lot of times they are experimental or artistic or, um, 
exploratory. Mm -hmm. So they're exploring this as a concept. And then, you know, down the road and like it may not have its own it may not have a lot of commercial or even a ton of artistic value on its own yeah but as an as a as a an effort of invention and discovery i think it's that kind of thing is very important yeah especially at a developer conference mm -hmm. uh, which is that's why that's why that's a great per, a great place for it is people can say like oh i see the the potential in this mm -hmm. Uh, as a concept that can help inspire people, uh, that audience particularly. But if you yeah. show it off at like a, a more of a of a um, like a PAX or something, I think all that's there for that audience is the novelty. Mm. Um, and so then it can then it puts a little bit more of a heavy burden on those things to to be more than just explorations or or, or inventions, right? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's important to keep in mind where you're installing this thing when you like create your, yeah. your installation. Yeah, and the, the biggest thing I think just like the UX of these installations, like mm -hmm. you, there's so many rules when you, you know, not rules necessarily, but guidelines and, and best practices for UX. Yeah, um, and we've been talking about that with our guests lately. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and how different that is when you put it in this new sort of space, mm -hmm. and how uh, it's very difficult to um, to know. Yeah, there's so many moving parts, mm -hmm. right, to the the space and the software, and to understand what that was. So with the Star Trek one. One of the things I did was um, I did. There's no menu screen. There's no pause screen. And when you set it down, um, someone can pick it up and and just pick up where that last person left off. Yeah. So there's no. It's a state machine. There's no sequence. There's no A B C. Like you don't start and end anywhere. Yeah. You can just explore in the space and then wherever it ends up. Especially because it's it's uh, has gaze uh, navigation. So if you set the thing down and it's looking at something, it's just going to go there. Uh, so I need to I needed to design it in a way that that was okay. And so I think that's something where when you're designing for uh, like, uh, you know, for game experiences in general, those are not considerations you have or that you have many different considerations. Yeah. And in my case, it made it like actually quite a lot easier on the technical side. I didn't need to worry about uh, uh, pause screens or, or, or sort of um, user pathing, you right. know, that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, it made it sort of difficult because I had to like, I had to think like, okay, I had to come up with all the different scenarios that someone would approach it. Like, what if they approached it and it's ups it was held upside down and then the gyroscope like veered off by 30 degrees. So the, what forward is, is no longer forward. And it's like, okay, I, is the user going to be okay in that situation? Because these cheap phones we got for it were not like, you know, they would, they did a lot of drift in the, oh, the, no. the gyroscope, um, which wasn't turned out, didn't turn out to be too big of a problem. I did put in a reset view. If you look straight at the sky, a little thing will pop up that says reset view. Oh, nice. Which is a little debug thing. Yeah. Um, but I never, I didn't really have to use it that much. Um, people seem to be okay. That's <laughs> like, good. It's a 360 experience. So it, it didn't, uh, it wasn't too bad. Mm -hmm. um, but I was really worried about that, that like over time, especially on the nights it's there and I'm not, that it wouldn't be, um, you know, I had to account for all those when I was imagining all the different possible paths and having no time to play test. I had to have like, like a lot of confidence and do, do sort of a lot of this sort of, in my head analysis about like, you know, will this work? What can I do to change it? What shouldn't I do to risk a problem here? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so like one of the things I did is I made sure that the, um, the, the gaze uh, hotspots were not too close together. So that oh, yeah. to better communicate to someone who's not familiar with it, that if they're looking at this item, this item, this item, even if they're moving pretty fast, I wanted to make sure that if they don't understand what a, a gaze cursor is in VR, that, if they just look really fast and they're all very close together, nothing changes for them. Mm -hmm. And so um, I needed to make sure that it was like dead space so they would understand that from wherever they picked it up. So little things like that I thought were really interesting and not necessarily somewhat, but not necessarily considerations you have in other cases. Yeah. Um, I find that so fascinating. And yeah, like, that is. In, like, in, in museum uh, exhibits particularly, like 
you can't count on the person to reset it for the next right, thing. Yeah. You have, like you have timeouts or you have whatever. Um, and I've I've been to a lot of like science museum style exhibits, which are like left like in their halfway state. Yeah. Um, it's not as it's not that easy mm-hmm. to like design systems that that you know for all those those use cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Huh. At GDC, I went to a talk by two people uh, who. Each of them were working on a, a game with an alternate control system. And one of them was primarily working on installation games. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game he made was uh, this tube of LED lights. Uh, and you mm-hmm. like, what was it? It was a door s- stop or something that you pulled back and then. Yeah, something spring, like that. Like, springed back. And the more you, like, the more it springed, the mm-hmm. farther your little dot would go up this line. Of, oh, kind of like a test your strength kind of thing. Almost. Sort of. But then you had to, like, you could control it that, like, by moving it back and forth, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And then there were enemies on the line and yeah. you had to do certain stuff. Yeah. So it was like Line Land from Flatland or whatever <laughs> that book. Um, it was really cool. But he said that the one thing that he did not realize is, like, oh, like doorstops are not made to do this and you have 8 billion children doing this for yeah. m- many hours and they'll break immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you ended up having to go to like a, a custom spring. He said it was like the most fortuitous thing. I looked up springs <laughs> and in my, like near my town is a place that does small order custom springs. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, Something like that is when we were uh, setting up the physical space for the Star Trek VR, we had put, we had our, our, our little podiums, the little Star Trek stands with the ho- little mini holodecks on them. And then on the windows, Orchestra Hall has these great floor to ceiling windows. And previously, um, we've projected uh, video onto them mm-hmm. um, so that people outside can see the games we're presenting when we oh, go there. Yeah, yeah. And so for this, um, I did uh, these animations, these sort of Star Trek uh, um, user interface animations that you see. It's called L Cars. Um, we'll put a link into the ones I did and also sort of like the, uh, the, um, the creator who talked about how it was used as a user interface on the show to look real, but not be real. I love that. But, um, we, uh, we, I have this animation, we projected them on the wall, but we projected them sideways, 90 degrees, which meant the projectors we had, a lot of times you can, you can, in the settings menu on a projector, you can, you can physically rotate the lens so that it, it, it can do, these ones didn't. So we had to physically ha- hold them on their sides, oh. which was like the hardest thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> we weren't quite prepared for the physicality of that. Uh-huh. And it was a lot of like gaffer tape and last minute target runs to find like little <laughs> things to hold them up and stuff. And mm-hmm. suddenly we like, we propped them up on a chair and then we had two of them. So the second one, we're like, okay, now we know how to do this. So we propped it up again. Like, oh wait, this chair is slightly different. Oh no. <laughs> and so like those kinds of little things, it's, um, Unless you, we didn't have a lot of time or money to like plan all these things out. And so it becomes really difficult to, to like account for all that stuff in advance. You kind of just have to like experience it. Right. Or in this yeah. case of the, the, like the doorstopper thing, it's like, you don't think of that because it just doesn't occur to you until it comes up. Right. Because it's not part of the normal game design process. Yeah. They're not normal uh, best practices or use cases for these sorts of things. You have to be very open to, um, to, to rolling with it, you know, and like, and be quick under the uh, feet and kind of come up with new solutions as, as best you can. And sometimes that informs the, or sometimes it can inform the design of your experience. Um, we had, you know, we had a layout in mind of where we we're going to put these podiums. And based on the space, we actually kind of just moved it all around kind of last minute and it ended up being like 10 times better. And it's just because we were open to like, not just be like, okay, we don't have instructions. We just have an idea roughly. And now we'll fix it to make it a little better. And yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Design through limitation. That's exactly what it is yeah. in real time. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess before we move on, I just wanted to quickly mention the idea of like, what do you do when these things are over? Because having not done a project like this before, but being very happy with the result, I'm like, well, now what happens? I just put it in my archive folder. And I've started to think about, for this project in particular, um, being able to repurpose it as a way to, um, as an application for uh, 3D photospheres, which is, mm-hmm. that's the structure of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for other types of exhibits, a lot of times, um, as an indie developer with limited resources, you want to make the best use of your time. And so um, I, I'm, I'm, it is interesting to think about how, like you put all this work in for this thing and it's over. I guess it must be what people work in theater must be. Yeah. Like, right. Um, yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a digital artist like from the beginning. Like I, I don't put a lot of stock in like original prints. And so the idea of, of art to me is I'm, there's nothing wrong with a copy. Like I have no problem with that as an artist. And so it is interesting to think about this in different terms as being an artist who makes things that, that cannot be archived in that same way. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just, you got to go back to the blank state. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and in this case, it's Star Trek. Like I can't, it's, we don't have the license for this. Like we yeah. can't, <laughs> can't sell it. Like there's no future life for it necessarily. Yeah. Um, it falls within like, you know, fan projects. I can, I can, I can distribute it to some fan sites and, and, I, and maybe I'll do that, but like, that's not really the, po- it was never really the point of it. Mm. Um, but like, so I've racked my brain, like, how can I let, and you know, it's like when you do code reuse, right? You come with this great function and so you put it in a utility class. Like I'm going to use it on a future project. I, I'm definitely in that mindset now that the hard work is done. I'm like, how do I now make that last? Yeah. Um, which is not a thought. I, th- I didn't think I would have that thought mm-hmm. necessarily, but yeah. it's consuming me right Interesting. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess how I feel about it is like, it's a, in the moment sort of a thing. Yeah. It might not be as relevant later in the line it, later down the line. Sure. Like, um, it just might not like during that moment when everybody is all immersed in Star Trek and they're listening to the live soundtrack yeah. being played as they're watching the movie. Oh yeah. Uh, going in and being able to play a VR game during that time is like probably really cool. But like at later points, I mean, it, I'm sure the game would still be cool, but it just wouldn't be as yeah. cool at that point. What so made like, it so successful in that moment yeah. is exactly what may, will make it far less in any other. Exactly. And I, and that's that I knew that sort of going mm-hmm. in. But it, it, I'm thinking more about like you know the you time, can, the work I put into it. Oh yeah. Oh sure. <laughs> I want to get some. I want to. I get a little <laughs> bit more results from that. In the that future. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get, it's just not a thought I'd had necessarily um, mm-hmm. as a as a working artist. Um, but it's it's not uncommon, certainly, the, for especially people who work in theater, who like those performances are ephemeral. You know that, that that work is it lives and dies, right? Which is different from what we normally do uh, as game makers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. You'll have to let us know what you decide to do with it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll I'll do some uh, follow up if it comes to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, speaking of losing things to being a loser, see what I did there, Martha? Yeah, see, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> you cut mine and don't cut yours. I'm going to be mad. <laughs> well, it depends on how, how mischievous I'm feeling. <laughs> well, do you have a better one? No. Oh, because we could go toe-to-toe on this. What? I'm kidding. <laughs> you totally lose, though. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Transition! We're going to do a pun off now. Oh man, I'll just leave the room. What, what have we become? <laughs> For real. <laughs> Anyways, uh-huh. the next topic is losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why would I ever want to think about that? Because it happens to you often. It does. Especially <laughs> in Overwatch. Oh, <laughs> I sense a little salt from you, Martha. Sodium. <laughs> <laughs> Let the salt flow through. So, 
I mean, okay, so we all come from different backgrounds and things. Mm-hmm. So losing is probably different for each of us. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced people who are just sore losers and will not accept a loss and do, you know, just get angry or start throwing controllers at TVs and whatever <laughs> else. <laughs> there was like a, there was like a, uh, um, um, what was it? Like a rage quit competition they had at some League of Legends tournament where like who could get the who could get angry the most. Uh-huh. And there was this dude who was just slamming on his keys and he grabbed his keyboard and threw it at a monitor. And it was kind of crazy. I mean, like they were expecting this because that was the whole right, competition. Right. But it was just kind of it's like an air guitar thing. It's like, yeah, it's it's who can be silliest. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It I was like just, that. It was kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, um, I'm curious, like, how do you guys handle losses? How do you feel about them? I, I, is looking at me like, <laughs> I take it you don't like losing. I mean, yes. <laughs> In Overwatch, it's very frustrating to lose. Dylan makes fun of me because he's like, Overwatch is the only game where Martha goes like full tilts. <laughs> like, yeah, I heard that <laughs> on Evil Games Club, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Not our Martha. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that game makes me very salty mm-hmm. uh, when we lose. Well, mostly it's because their matchmaking when you get in groups of people goes is hard. Like it's really hard to match whether like normally when you're in a group of people, uh, you they see that as like you're obviously going to be better because you can communicate or like you know each other's styles or whatever. Right. But then they put your team, which has only got like one star people, up against people with four stars, like a team of or like individuals with four stars. Mm. And it's like a team with individuals with four stars is going to whoop our one star team, <laughs> even with the most communication that we have, because we just don't have as you know as much experience in the mm, game. Yeah. So that's that's when I get especially salty when there's nothing I could have done about it. <laughs> okay, um, I understand that. And I'm like, just have to sit here and lose for the next mm-hmm. 10 minutes. But luckily, it's only 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like the core of not I'm not saying this is what you're doing, but isn't that the core of of being unsatisfied with a loss or being a sore loser is the belief that you didn't deserve it? Yes. Right? Like, it, I mean, it, sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Just knowing the difference is what matters. Right. Right. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Um well, I also, I'm thinking about it. I also get mad when <laughs> we're, it's really, really, really close and we could have gotten it. So, yeah, oh. I guess. Hmm. Like if I, someone throws a game for you. Yeah. Or like you have one person who just is like, I'm going to sit on, not on the point, even though I'm right next to it. Yeah. And we've got, you know, 30 seconds left and <laughs> I'm still alive over here and I could just move mm-hmm. two inches over and be on the point. I'm like, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Teammates, am I right? <laughs> um, what about you, Mark? How, how do you feel about losses? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a particularly gracious loser or not. Mm-hmm. I like to, I mean, I, I think everyone likes to think they are. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't have, I'm not as interested in competitive games as a player. Sure. Um, and, but at the same time, so when I do lose, it's often because someone just knows the game better than I do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, well, okay, that makes sense. But it's, I feel the same way when I win. Like, it's, well, it's like, well, that person just didn't have enough time with it or something. Like, it's not often. I mean, okay. So I was like king of Goldeneye when I was a kid. Oh, okay. But it's because it was my game. I owned it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I whooped all my friends, but I didn't take a ton of pride in that because it was just like, it would have been them if we were going to their house to play. Uh-huh. 
you know? So I, maybe my brain just works different. I don't know. But I, I mean, I'm certainly, I, I'm sure I get a little bit grumpy when I lose like anybody. It's human nature. Yeah. Um, I guess I just don't value winning and losing as much. Hmm. Perhaps. Interesting. I'm not certain about that. That's interesting. I like yeah. the, I like the difference in mm-hmm. how you guys handle it. The way I handle well, it. I have not lost an Overwatch. Ah, that's, that's, I'm zero and zero. There's your problem. Goes, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you haven't had that happen to we'll, you yet. We'll see. That, that really is the problem with like Overwatch and those like team games mm-hmm. is that, um, a lot of it is due to matchmaking. Sometimes you just get matched with people who are just horrible losers. And so. <laughs> Not people, just horrible losers. Just horrible people. losers. <laughs> no, I mean like they're they're horrible at losing. So like uh, they'll they'll um, somebody gets first blood or whatever in League of Legends, and they're like, oh well, the game's over now. I'm just gonna start throwing uh, my body at mid lane. You guys kill me real, a whole fast because we're gonna lose this or whatever. And then they, they really cause the game to lose because their 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 emotional state is what's driving the loss not really how well they're doing it's like self-fulfilling prophecy yeah exactly Mm -hmm. right um and so in team games i I often find uh playing team games to be somewhat frustrating largely because of that because the way i I come from a fighting game background the way i when i lose i'm always looking to improve and so i actually sort of enjoy losing weirdly enough it's a strange Uh it's a strange like way of approaching things. <laughs> we should really get Charles on for a second opinion on that. Oh, because I'm sure he enjoys it too. That's all he ever gets is losses. Shots fine. I was meaning to corroborate your like very wait no don't have your story because like he'll say that he wins sometimes. <laughs> you, you can't <laughs> you can't prove that if he's not on. Here. That's true. <laughs> According to the official Nice Games Club record. Uh, Charles is a perpetual loser. Perpetual loser. Uh huh. Perpetual student. Perpetual loser. I love it. <laughs> wow. I'm gonna hear it from him when he. Wow. <laughs> He's in the other room right now. I know. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him, Charles. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, because I come from a running game background, I'm always constantly trying to improve and stuff. Yeah. So when I lose, I'm looking for what I did wrong, and like how I can uh, uh, adjust in the next mm-hmm. game to to you know get better at it and win. Do you describe that as doing things wrong? Because the way I, I, I view competition is you can, this is a Star Trek quote, sure. but it's possible to make no mistakes and still lose. You're, you're right. Right. And so I, I think about that a lot. Like, cause I've heard you say that before that like, you're looking to see what you did wrong. Yeah. And I, that's such, that seems sort of strange to me. Okay. As a way, maybe it's just a vocabulary thing. Um, well, uh, not necessarily. I, I like in in certain cases there is just nothing you could do. Like perhaps a character or somebody picked a character that just completely counters whatever character you had. Right. In which case you're playing a badly designed game, yeah. <laughs> which is a separate problem. Uh-huh. But um, that happens to me all the time. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, sometimes that happens, or sometimes like I don't know, maybe you're 80 years old and you're playing with your uh, granddaughter who's two, not yeah. two, who's like 10. <laughs> Um, and plays the game all the time or something. You're right. just not going to win because she's got all these skills and stuff and she can, she has the dexterity or whatever to play this game right, a certain right. way. And you just can't do it. In which case, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do. You're really just playing for fun at that point. Yeah. But I think that a lot of times, um, it really comes down, specific, particularly in fighting games. And one of these days I had to talk about fighting games in an episode. Uh, particularly <laughs> one in, of these days, one of these talk days. about fighting games. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, 
it, it, it comes down to like the decisions you make moment to moment. Like sometimes you'll make a, a spacing decision where you decide to move up closer to the, mm-hmm. to the opponent because you feel like you'll have an advantage or something. Yeah. Um, but it ends up being the wrong decision because they had all of these different options prepared and they've been doing that this whole time. So you could have read that and understood that uh, you should not have made that decision or something like that. You know, like there's a whole right, bunch of different right. decisions. It basically comes down to like what decisions you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, and with longer games like League of Legends or well, Overwatch is like ten minutes, so it's not the longest thing. But I could, yeah. it's still kind of frustrating because mm-hmm. it's like ten minutes. Well, um, mostly it's when you get matched against people with four stars, like yeah. eight games in a row, and you're like, <laughs> right, really, yeah. right? And then that's eighty minutes of your time. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, but like with longer games, the 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 time commitment is longer, and so the loss feels more obnoxious because like. You're spending a lot more of your life losing this thing, yeah. and particularly in like League of Legends and other MOBAs. Oftentimes you can tell you're going to lose around like the 20 minute mark. And that's when they have like the surrender mm-hmm. uh, marks down because like the, the the one team has accumulated a certain amount of advantage, and you know, pushed your towers or whatever MOBA terms. Uh, <laughs> and so at that point, it's it's uh, you like you know you're going to lose, and you've spent 20 minutes of your life playing this thing already, and you just want it to be over. But the way I look at it at that point is that uh, I can still I can still figure out like how to come back during this during a game like this when you're losing because yeah. you never know your opponent might go oh man we're winning so bad I'm gonna fool around and uh, <laughs> die to dragon three times uh-huh. uh, and you can come back from that which I mean you can't count on that but you can. Uh, and, like you can start making decisions on like how you can come back. Like um, we're we're not doing well here. Maybe we should focus on getting towers so we can start coming back. Or they've been get they've gotten three dragons. Maybe we should focus on catching them at dragon and mm-hmm. uh, you know getting winning a team fight yeah. or something like that. Those kinds of decisions you could you you have to uh, think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like when you're uh, like when you when you win a game, oftentimes I find. At least my, for myself, and I feel like a lot of people are probably the same way. When you win a game, you don't have to reflect on how uh, how well you did and what mistakes you could have done better or not mm-hmm. because you won. Doesn't matter at that point. <laughs> <laughs> what do they do in in sports when they they do like the they play the tape in the locker room? Yeah, like you do that whether you win or lose. But those are professional players, right? Like right, to, right. But I think when you're playing for fun, you, there's no incentive to analyze a win. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like at the, at the highest, at the highest level, like you're playing a win and that's what you're trying to do is you're always trying to figure that out. But like, if you're Mm -hmm. just playing in the, um, you're just playing with your friends or whatever in your living room, you're probably not trying to go, Oh man, I should have, uh, I should, have uh, I don't know. Shurikened when I uppercut it or something. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) something like that. Like, uh, like you don't have to analyze your decisions because you won. So that, that's, that's what's, oftentimes important in the moment unless it's like this or that was such a great play do you remember that great play i did yeah (laughs) play of the game (laughs) martha i want to ask you about the sort of that that when someone on your team screws it for you like that's really frustrating yeah but is that countered when like you're all working together really well does that make those moments where someone really biffs it like worth it in retrospect when for the times when you really pull together as a team yeah, I think I think that counters it counterbalances it. Like mm-hmm. when we're all when we're all it's nice when we when we win because we all were together. Yeah. And when it feels like you're communicating with your team and stuff. Although it's it like even there was a, a couple games that we played with some of my friends recently where we lost, but each of us did really well. Yeah. And like we pulled off some plays where it was like, "Oh, yeah, we like <laughs> it was so funny we 
Now I'm just going to go into overall story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was so funny because at a certain, like they stop you from going forward at a certain point until all the players are ready or, you know, they count down uh, until the match starts, but mm-hmm. you can run around the map a little bit. Um, and so I was like right up against the, the spot where you can uh, get out of this one spawn mm-hmm. area. And this one other character from the other team was like wandering around outside, like just outside. And so the minute the doors opened, I was just like, snipe. (laughs) (laughs) And even though I lost, like everyone on the chat was like, Oh my God, that was hilarious. I've been on the other team. They're like, lol, that was great. (laughs) Um, And so like, even though I lost that game, like, you know, it was cool to feel like, Oh yeah, we're all playing. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I think you've both talked a little bit about what the uh, having some or no control over the opponents, mm-hmm. right? So, like, um, if a po- if an opponent makes a mistake, you do well to take advantage of it. Right. But sometimes an opponent makes a mistake, and you just win whether you took advantage of it or not. Mm. Um, but uh, it's interesting because when we've played like Star Trek Ascendancy, yeah, which is a game I know you like, I do, but I you, so you do get frustrated when it comes down to like diplomacy yeah when when you're like I, i'm not sure which action to take and then like you as the klingon empire is like you're deciding which action to take and then me as the federation and the romulans over there we're both trying to like lobby you to make a decision and we're it's that sort of social diplomacy uh-huh. element it's not bluffing exactly but it's it's it, you don't like that as much no i don't i think largely because it lengthens the game <laughs> <laughs> i think that's part of it yeah but just like um it, it kind of, well, okay, when I play games, I often play emotionally, which is ironic because I don't normally get mad when I lose a game, mm-hmm. which is, so it's, it's really weird. Uh, we'll but, check the tape on that. <laughs> Touche. Uh, but like when, we're, when, when that's happening, like I oftentimes feel like I have to make a decision between uh, one set of my friends or another set of my friends and how well they're pitching wherever that is, uh, their story yeah. is. And I, I and particularly in Star Trek Ascendancy, it has an issue where like you, well, it's not super bad, but like because it's a three player game at this point, mm-hmm. um, you often there's often situations where you can like king make another person. Yeah. And so like when that kind of situation happens, you guys are like, hey, hey, I want to win. Uh, how, help me win by doing this. And I'm like, uh, right. I don't right. know what I want to do. So <laughs> and I'm going to and I'm probably going to lose either way. Yeah. So yeah. like. At, the, at those points, like it's really it's kind of frustrating, right? Um, just because I don't want to, ma- I don't want to have to make that kind of a decision. Oh, I see. So, it, so you much prefer the, like you're you're playing and the, the opponent is playing, mm-hmm. but you're not actually interacting necessarily at that. Maybe I'm simplifying a little mm-hmm. bit because when you're talking about a fighting game, yeah, like you, you're talking about that notion of when I mean, when I first understood the rock paper scissors sort of element, I'm like, well, that's the boringest thing ever. <laughs> but you you explained to me that like it's about reading whether your p- p- opponent is going to play rock paper scissors. Right. It's not necessarily just you playing one and then playing another. Yeah. Um. And if you're not very good, that's what it is. But mm-hmm. um. And that that's sort of interesting. Where but you're not interested in influencing the other player. No, to that, make a well, mistake. Like that, a lot of a lot of fighting game. games is um, you do have to influence the player. Like um, there's this there's this term where they like you train a player to think you're going to do this action off time. So like uh. for example, in like Street Fighter, you'll um, if you want a person later on in the match to think you're going to throw them, you will frequently try to throw you know try to throw them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe you'll do it safely so you won't get punished. I don't know how you would do that because I don't play enough Street <laughs> Fighter to know how you would manage to do that. But. Um, you would uh, you would frequently do that in the first round or whatever. You try to throw them a bunch, and then like when you get to the third round or whenever, and it's a close game, 
you can uh, walk up to them and they're expecting a throw, but then you hit them with uh, um, an invincible um, an invincible move to counter whatever move they're trying to throw out, or a fast move to counter whatever uh-huh. move they throw out. So like you can you can train your opponent to uh, to fight you in a certain way, right? And right. Um, that that happens a lot in fighting games, and that's cool. I'm gonna coin a term. I'm gonna say uh, that's pulling a Twilight Zone. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Because you're setting expectations, and then there's a twist. <laughs> oh, okay. That's well, yeah. That's a way of looking at it. I listeners, let's make that catch up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> pulling a Twilight Zone. Yeah. Well, that's funny. I used to uh, mm. uh, be a fencer in college. Mm. And we would do like the, we were, our coach would tell us to do similar things, like always do parry four when you come forward for like four or five times. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. And then you're like, ha ha, seven. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. Like, yeah, there are certain, um, uh, some combos in most, oftentimes three, 3D fighters where like you can, uh, you can finish it with like the big, hit or you can finish it with a, a feint um, and like you can mix it up while you're doing it in the game and get your opponent confused and guessing like how you're going to do it and so those kinds of things I find very interesting I just um, I guess like in, in Star Trek Ascendancy it oftentimes it, 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 I, I influence it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as good well, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure it, I mean it's dragged out right yeah it's dragged out and that's might be what I like about it because like when you were describing the scenario of like the 80 year old and their granddaughter yeah like to me I'm like well that's just not a fair fight right. like can't they play a game where it is a fair fight mm. like that that's that's what that's why I prefer competitive games that that don't rely on twitch reflexes or don't don't really even account for them. Mm. Um, you could have asynchronous where one is a twitch fighter and uh, the other one has to answer trivia questions from the 60s <laughs> i like that a lot actually i would love an asynchronous fighting game mm. to, almost to teach that concept of reading your opponent i did Just have to, like a concept that um i wanted to work on where it would be like a combination of rpg characters and a fighting game uh-huh. but this was a long time ago but yeah. before i even knew what i was doing so. see i like turn-based rpg games uh-huh. like i don't play a lot of them but i always like those mechanics when i when i do play them yeah because it does feel it feels strategic but not super complicated yeah <laughs> yeah i guess I think the reason why I don't like the Star Trek Ascendancy the way that it works is it feels a lot more personal. Like it feels like whatever decision I make, I'm making enemies. Well, my part friends. of that is we appeal to that because we it's a weakness you have. Mm-hmm, We're like, yes. Steven, aren't we pals? Yeah. I, you know, so that's, know not, that. that's not the game's fault entirely. <laughs> Perhaps. No, I, it's probably not the game's fault. But I we like, see that with, opening <laughs> with fighting games. There's it's not personal. Right. Like, I feel like I can be competitive and like, you know, do a little trash talking and stuff because like it's not oh. well a little bit <laughs> because like I, I i don't feel like it's personal and, and oftentimes i don't feel like the opponent feels like it's personal sure. so we um, we have an understanding about that mm-hmm. a mutual understanding so it it, it 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 doesn't end up being like that okay but also finding games like they're like three minute investments so yeah it's hard to feel personal about it unless there's a lot of stakes in that game like right. if you're playing right. at evo or something mm-hmm. yeah that i mean that's a losing thing that that i always get frustrated with mm-hmm. is when the game is over well before it's over. Yeah. That drives me crazy. Like even if I'm winning, but mostly when I'm losing, mm-hmm. cause it's just like, uh, like I'm, there's nothing left to do, but I, yeah. you, then you have to participate. Yeah. You know, like that's why I do like games that involve king making because that gives you something to do. Mm, okay. You know? Interesting. Yeah. I suppose that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, probably doesn't happen a lot in fighting games because people come back from that little sliver all the time. They right? do. Oh, that's exciting stuff. <laughs> Love that. 
Evo just happened. Evo. Is, any highlights? Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, in uh, Super Smash Brothers uh, for Wii U, that's the the game I normally follow. Um, there was a I won't call it an upset because that wouldn't be accurate. But there's a a player in the game. His name is Zero. He plays Diddy Kong. Uh, he went. He has uh, for the past few years. That game has been out. He's uh, won most of the tournaments he's been in. Mm-hmm. But he was defeated by a Bayonetta player, and Bayonetta is really uh, controversial in the in the uh, in the Smash community because she play she sort of plays the game differently than uh, how most do, mm. um, and she has like a lot of uh, exceptions to the to like Smash rules that are quite controversial. So uh, that kind of stuff that 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 was like a and I, I read a lot about like how the um, I read about the community and like how they felt about it and stuff, and so. Often, a lot of that was pretty fascinating. Um, but yeah, that happened a couple, uh, it was last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty cool to read about that and stuff. And how did the champ take being <laughs> I mean, toppled? Zero, Zero is pretty, uh, he, he's pretty cool about losing. He, he, mm-hmm. He's lost a couple times in the past and sure. stuff. And, I mean, he'll get frustrated, but like, he, he's, not, he's not like yeah. terrible about it. But a lot of people are like, ban Bayonetta because she's so annoying <laughs> to play against and stuff. And that's, you know. Those that I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's when losing gets too. That's that's too much. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's interesting because is that about the attitude or is it about the truth of the matter? I think it's the attitude that I have the problem because it may well be that Bayonetta is. It could be, right? but like you have to analyze it from a um, an objective point of view. Most right. of the time, sometimes like a character isn't supremely overpowered to the point right. where it's um, causing. That it's like, like literally, you have no way of beating it. But like in Brawl, for example, Meta Knight was um, my favorite character. <laughs> yes, but also clearly the best character in the game, and uh-huh. was sort of stifling competition. So they tried to ban him, and it actually caused the the community to like collapse at that point. Oh, um, a few months after that had happened. So, um, you know, it it uh, bans are uh, you you gotta you gotta you gotta be careful about how you ban right people. right yeah. Hmm. And Smash in particular, like they have to ban things because certain stages and like they ban items, like certain stages you can't really uh, compete on there because they have such crazy random effects and stuff that it's really difficult to have a competition there. Right. So right. they'll have uh, they they ban a lot of stages and stuff like that. So Smash is sort of ban happy because they have to do a lot of it already. Right. Um, right. But they try not to ban characters. But um, Meta Knight was the only character they, they ever banned um, in, in history. Hmm. Uh, most of the time they don't need to because at least the top characters are balanced enough where they don't ha- they don't have that issue. But uh, Brawl had that issue in there. I think it's starting to trickle a little bit in the Smash Four, and hopefully it doesn't come to a Bayonetta ban because I don't think she's OP. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I think that's it. Well, you didn't talk about losing in single player games. Oh, which I, I have suppose. I have way more experience in. <laughs> you beat all of your games though, right? Eventually. <laughs> Um, well, um, I guess yeah, losing in single player games, it's, it's the same principle for me, mm-hmm. um, though I get more frustrated because there's no opponent. So I will in my head blame the developer, even though I'm like, I should uh-huh. blame the developer. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I tend to get more frustrated at those because I feel like, uh, there's nothing. It's, it's harder for me to improve because there's no opponent that I can talk to about like how, what I did wrong or. Um, there's no like feedback I can get from an opponent, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the, the, the game has to give me all that feedback. And sometimes that feedback just isn't there. Ah, see, I feel totally different. Mm. I feel like when you lose in like a game, like, like a platformer, right? Like yeah. a Mega Man or a Super Meat Boy or yep. a Mario or yeah. something like it's the feedback you get is predictable and, and, and it's part of a system. Right. 
So I think it's easier to learn from. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just that sometimes that feedback or that system is not easily predictable because it hasn't been explained well enough. Right, right. And that's when I have that's when I get frustrated. Oh, okay. Like if I'm playing Super Meat Boy and I die to a saw or whatever, I know I died to the saw because I jumped <laughs> wrong. Right, right. So that's understandable. But um I don't know, some games they, they don't they don't have that kind of feedback. Yeah. So it's more difficult for me. One that I really thought did a pretty good job of doing that is um I forget how many V's are in the title, but it's V V V V V, you know? Six. Six. Okay. Um, I played that on uh, Vita on an airplane. Yeah. And that's a game where you die all the time, but it's very much a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. And, but occasionally it asks for Twitch reflexes. Right. And I, I definitely forgive it that because you, you, you have to sort of sit and think, okay, here, here, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And then you have to do it, and then it is practicing until you get the Twitchy bit right. Yeah. And I, I'm much more forgiving of a game that asks that of me if it, um, if it does let me sort of kind of do it over and over in that moment or, yeah. and, and solve a puzzle before I start yeah. kind of, or at least uh, progressively solve a puzzle. So that game was fun. I got like all the little like bonus nonsense and huh. thing. And, okay. and I, and I, I got off the plane and I was like, I should look more into this game. It was like, a, <laughs> I think it was like a PS plus game or something. So I got it for free mm-hmm. and uh, people were talking about just how enormously difficult it was. And I was like, well, I'm not that good at precision platforming. Like I like it, but um, I think it just appealed to me so much and the way I kept dying was it was a sort of rewarding feedback mm-hmm. rather than punishing yeah. that I got really good at it very quickly, which is not normally what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It's just a, it, it gave you the motivation you were looking for to get good yeah. at the game. Also, I was on a plane. Well, so what yeah. else was I going to yeah. do? <laughs> <laughs> there probably is something to do with it too. Yeah. Huh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I guess just, just certain certain uh, single player games, like they have different uh, ways of uh, ha- having losing happen to you. Like, I know a lot of times in RPGs, if you lose a battle, that's like the end of your save, and you have to go all the way back thirty minutes, uh-huh. and that's Ooh. obnoxious. Yeah, but like in po- in platformers and things, oftentimes you'll die, and then you just go right back to whatever level it is, and it's not too long. So, yeah. um, that's the kind of thing you uh, have to consider when you're making a game, and mm-hmm. a thing you have to consider when you're playing it too. Yeah, mm-hmm. games are making it a lot harder to lose. <clears throat> that's like, true, generally, right? That's true. Like even the new Mario, there's no game overs in the new Mario. Oh. Did you hear about that? I, I know that like when you lost, you just lose coins instead of lives. Yeah, and there's just you. Even if you have zero coins, uh, mm-hmm. you, there's no game over. Yeah, and then like which just seems so. That's how people play Mario games. You yeah. rack up a hundred lives and move and go forth. Yeah, right? yeah, to the point where lives eventually don't matter that much. Yeah, but like I really hate it when you lose a bunch to the point where the game like pities you and then gives <laughs> you like extra lives or. Uh, gives you an option to like go through the level without having played it or whatever yeah. that gets on my nerves. I very much dislike that in Mario. Games. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think I've even said this on the show before. Like mm-hmm. when you go for like the bonus things, mm-hmm. you're likely to die. a couple right. times. It's yeah. Like, it's like, no, I'm trying to do good here. Yes. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not falling on my face. Thank you. Yeah. Don't punish me for trying to play the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Martha, you want to jump in at the end there and tell us more about your losing exploits? Uh, Oh, you, you don't have enough of them. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess losing in single player games is not doesn't make me feel as angry. Mm. Okay. Uh unless it's something that I've been trying and trying and trying and trying for a long time. Yeah. Uh but generally I play games that are either quickly respawn or uh aren't don't really have a lose state, more just like a suboptimal state. Yeah. Uh or like in Borderlands, they do a really good thing where if you die, you get a chance to come back called Fight for Your Life. That's so right, yeah. if you get uh. a kill when you're down, you have a little timer, 
and you're like uh, prone on the ground and you can't use any of your abilities. But if you manage to kill an enemy from that, then you're back up with full life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, or at least part of your life or something yeah. like that. But yeah, I love that mechanic because it's like, oh, dang, I'm down. But <laughs> ha ha! Uh, I've managed to be skilled enough to at least get one more kill. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, Dale has finally started to play Final Fantasy 15. She's done oh. with The Witcher, finally. <laughs> She'll go back to it, I'm sure. But um, And uh, that has a thing when you're, when you're fighting, you get zero hit points. It gives you a, some time to recover from that, hmm. which is very, it feels very generous. It's like, it just, you just go, and you like hunch over and you, and then you have to, you can walk away from battle and take a potion or something. You don't have to, that way you don't get caught off guard, but it might be accounting for its terrible UI. Like no. <laughs> you don't get to see when you're thinking, I don't know. But I think games that have like that second chance mechanic, um, build that into this sort of modern notion of losing. Like yeah. game overs aren't fun. Um, Games aren't as hard as they used to be necessarily, and even even games that cause you to fail frequently, like like there's no reason to limit your continues necessarily. I say as Fingens has a limited number of uh, continues, right? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, one day we should talk about death uh, systems, yeah, and, or continue systems in games because that's a fascinating topic. Yeah, a lot more technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely get into that. Yeah. Well, hey, that's our show. If you have not already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or just nice like us. We need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Of course, you can give us feedback on the feedback form, which Steven's going to update with all new fun stuff. Right, yes. I, I've already done it, so you know <laughs> it's already on there. And one thing cool. I would like to hear specifically from you, this is advice we got from Nick, is yeah. to ask for specific feedback. And yes. one of the things I'm going to ask you to put in the form is to ask people about our episode formats, because yes. we're going to be trying uh, our Let's Plays coming up. Or nice plays, rather. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really curious to get more data on what people think about the different types of shows we yeah. do. Because um, we've been experimenting, um, but it's hard to go forward unless we know if we've done it right. Mm-hmm. And suggestions, of course, are welcome. So leave us that uh, feedback. Where can they find that, guys? Nice games. games dot club, club slash feedback. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's about as much enthusiasm as I can muster in my current state. Oh, <coughs> excuse me. Okay. Also, uh, check us out on Reddit at r slash game dev. We post the show notes there every week uh, and we'll post the direct link to that post in the show notes on our website. And it's all cyclical and time is a flat circle. <laughs> um, we also want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics as well. And of course, ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. And so, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. We could even make an exhibit about it. Oh. Oh. What? Not, See what I did there? Don't that was, that not was, your best transition, but it it technically was one. So. <laughs> I wow. thought it was slick. Cold. I didn't even see it coming, and we just moved into the next the next topic. <laughs> Before we get to that, uh, I'm gonna have to like sneeze a lot and blow my nose. Yes. And <laughs> cough a bunch. So <laughs> so we'll take a break. <laughs> and I'll recover. And I, I got a text from my wife. Dale, who said that I should be using this nasal spray that she sent me off to work with this morning. I gotta go find that. (laughs) (laughs) She will check. Give it a squirt and see if that helps. I'm losing my train of thought. We can edit this out. (laughs) Um, 
if I'm up to it. <laughs> or one of us okay. is up to it. I if, suppose. If, yeah. <laughs> Note to myself, remove this. Um, <laughs> oh, right. oh, um, uh, crap. Mark, did this out. <laughs> Man, you did a swear. Oh, crap. Is that a, is that a swear? <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was like, wait a minute. What did I curse? I'm just giving you trouble. Okay. Uh, <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.